This is the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast for Monday, August 26th of 2019. Welcome to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, a look at the latest news in Louisiana agriculture. Now, here's the host of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, Carrie Martin. Coming up on today's podcast, we'll visit with Iberia Parish sugarcane farmer Ricky Gosselin. Ricky is running for a seat in the State House of Representatives, so we'll talk to him about how his race is going so far. That's coming up later in the podcast, but first, here's a look at news headlines. The U.S. and Japan have reached a trade deal. President Trump announced over the weekend that an agreement in principle has been reached with Japan that should be very good for U.S. farmers. Tremendous for the farmers, and uh, one of the things that Prime Minister Abe has also agreed to is we have excess corn uh, in various parts of our country uh, with our farmers because China did not uh, do what they said they were going to do. And Prime Minister Abe, on behalf of Japan, they're going to be buying all of that corn. Uh, That's a very big transaction. They're going to be buying it from our farmers. President Trump says he expects the deal to be signed at the upcoming meeting of the United Nations General Assembly in New York on September 17th. USDA released its latest cattle on feed report on Friday showing record high August 1st cattle feedlot inventory numbers. However, beef production during the upcoming winter quarter may not be as high as some had predicted. Gary Crawford has more from Washington. During July, placements into cattle feedlots with a 1,000 head or more capacity turned out to be just over 1.7 million head, down 2% from July a year ago. That placement number is a little bit lower. The trade was anticipating placements in July to be roughly the same as year-ago levels. USDA livestock economist Seneca Heron told us that with lower placements in July, it looks like beef production during the upcoming winter quarter may not be as large as initially anticipated. We'll see, but back to the feedlot numbers. Heron says even with a drop from a year ago, in placements, feedlot inventories on August 1st totaled 11.1 million head. The highest August 1 inventory number since the series began in 1996. But beef demand seems good, and so Fed steers are bringing about a dollar more a hundredweight than this time a year ago. Currently, USDA forecasting prices for all of this year to average $116, next year $119. That forecast, though, may change when USDA issues its next round of forecasts September 12th. Gary Crawford, U.S. Department of Agriculture, Washington. Harvest is in full swing all across Louisiana, and that means lots of farm equipment on the roads and highways. Louisiana Farm Bureau Safety Manager Wendell Miley says the public should be patient with slow-moving farm equipment. Be expecting that. They're going to be out there trying to get from one field to another to harvest, getting from the field back to the grain to to, to bring their their crop in. So doing those things, watching out for those slow-moving vehicles, I think is very critical to avoid collisions out, out on the countryside. And the law agrees with that. State Trooper Taylor Scrantz with the Louisiana State Police says it's important for all drivers to remain alert on rural highways. Yeah, as everyone knows, we have a lot of sugar cane in Troop A, and we work numerous crashes simply because people aren't being patient. Instead of waiting the extra minute or two minutes it may take to safely pass the vehicle, everyone's in a rush and they do so unsafely, and that causes a collision, and sometimes it becomes a life-and-death situation. Trooper Scrantz says that impatience can sometimes lead drivers to forget about the rules of the road when behind a slow-moving tractor or combine. Just because you're behind a piece of farm equipment, no passing zones are still in effect. 
If you're behind or on the adjacent to a yellow solid line, that's a no passing zone. You still cannot pass. You only can pass on a yellow dash line. But it's not just drivers who need to be prepared to get on the road during harvest. Farm Bureau's Wendell Miley says there's plenty that farmers should do as well. Making sure that that SMV emblem, the slow-moving vehicle emblem, is clean. It can be seen. Um, if, they're, if they're going down the highway and there's a, there's a traffic jam clogging up behind them, pull over to the shoulder. If, if there's a wide enough shoulder, let that traffic clear and then get back out onto the highway and continue on to where you're going to. So a lot of things they can do. If they're making turns, especially left-hand turns, signaling. Some of the older model tractors may not have signals on them. They may be using hand signals to make those, those signals to they're going to be making a turn. So there are things that farmers can do and should do to hopefully help avoid collisions from uh, being hit by other vehicles out on the highway. Farm Bureau Safety Director Wendell Miley. A five-legged calf has found a home in southwest Louisiana. Matt Alexander of Hathaway told KPLC News 7 in Lake Charles that he was at an auction and no one wanted a calf that had an extra leg attached to her head. The auction bid started at 50. Nobody wanted it. When the people I talked to said, oh, you're wasting your money on that. It's not even going to make it. Well, 10 days later, you know, she's doing good and healthy. You know, she had five legs, and I figured, well, my fiance would like it. Matt's fiance is Megan Davis. She decided to name the calf Elsie. Just you fear the worst, that she's not going to make it. She's not something that, you know, we don't really know what was all wrong with her. But every day she surprises us. She's running around. She chases her mom. She eats off of her mom. She's got a lot of energy. Elsie is getting plenty of media attention with her story being aired on television around the country and all over social media. That's a look at some of the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture. Remember, you can always stay up to date by checking our website, voiceoflouisianaagriculture.com. Or you can use the short version, voiceoflaag.com. We update that website every weekday with all the latest news and happenings right here in Louisiana agriculture. And while you're there, remember to subscribe to our daily e-newsletter. It's called The Daily Voice. There's a button right in the middle of the homepage. It says click here to get our daily news update. Click that, put in your name and email address, and we'll send The Daily Voice right to your inbox 5 a.m. every weekday morning. Now let's look at the markets on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. We saw nice gains in the soybean market today, but not so much in the corn market. Virginia McGathy is with McGathy Commodities in Chicago. I think that the news about Japan making some purchases uh, fell on deaf ears. Uh, I think that uh, now traders are really waiting from real, for real confirmation before the market starts to move. And, you know, we are closing in on the final week of August, uh, right ahead of the, uh, of the holiday. Uh, we should be really focusing on you know, the harvest, what it's going to do, you know, where's the weather going. And I think that everyone's kind of just watching that. And so there, there's a, a few competing uh, fundamental news sources and things coming coming out with corn that really has kind of frozen the market. And uh, so it's good on one point that it's not really like falling into, you know, oblivion. Uh, but at the same time, it didn't really give anything a shot in the arm to really get this market moving like we had hoped. Uh, soybeans uh, reacted a little bit, and that's why it gained some strength, but it wasn't enough to pull uh, corn along and certainly not wheat. So corn and wheat are both kind of like uh, just uh, stuck, uh, you know, on the on the wheel for right now. So we just got to get a little more news to, to get a direction. Soybeans close with double digit gains. September beans up 10 and a half, 853 and three quarters. 
New crop November beans up 10 and three quarters, 867 and a quarter. We saw a mixed close in the corn market. September corn down one and a quarter, 358 and a half. December corn up a half penny, 368 and a quarter. September wheat down two and a quarter at 473. A nice jump in the rough rice market. September rice up 24 cents, 1122 a hundredweight. November rice up 24 and a half at 1152 and a half. November sugar down seven points, closing at 25.76 cents. Now with a look at the cotton market, here's Don Molino. Cotton futures at New York lowered most nearby contracts on Monday. The seven-day weather outlook shows some accumulation totals for part of the Texas panhandle and most of the southeastern U.S. this week. Commitment of traders data showed specs in cotton futures and options trimming 3,443 contracts from the net short position to 41,199 contracts as of August 20th. The Codlick A index higher 90 points on August 23rd at 70.30 a pound. The weekly average raw price now 52.57 a pound, good through next Thursday. At New York on Monday afternoon, October cotton 57.59 down 38. New crop December cotton finish at 57.80 down 41. March down 41 at 58.74. The spot market price 55.16 down 29. I'm Don Molino on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. We wrapped up the fed cattle trade last week, selling cattle anywhere from 106 to 109. Those 106 prices came down in the south, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas. As you moved further north, we saw live prices ranging from 107 to 109 in Nebraska and Iowa. Dressed prices in the north, mostly 175 to 178 on the rail. That's 4 to $6 higher compared to the previous week. The futures market saw a nice jump in Chicago. October live cattle up a dollar sixty, closing at one oh one even. December live cattle up a dollar sixty seven, one oh five ninety seven. Feeder futures strongly higher. September up two seventy five, closing at one thirty six even. October feeder cattle up a dollar eighty five, one thirty four thirty seven. The fall election is just over a month away here in Louisiana with the primary on October 12th. And there's one Louisiana farmer who will be on the ballot this fall in his district. Ricky Gosselin is a sugarcane farmer from Iberia Parish. We'll talk with Ricky about his run for the State House of Representatives. Coming up next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. What comes out of the ground creates energy and has been a major contributor to Louisiana's economy for over two centuries? No, it's not oil. It's sugar. Sugar cane, sweet sugar cane. Ever since the Jesuits began cultivating sugar in colonial Louisiana, this sweet crop has had a major impact on our economic well-being. Each year, our sugarcane industry creates an economic boon of nearly $3 billion for the Bayou State. This vital business engine supports fuel and fertilizer distributors, tractor and automotive dealerships, supermarkets, and more than 15,000 Louisiana jobs. The sugar industry also benefits research universities and schools, banks, and insurance agencies. Sugarcane, sweet sugarcane. The Louisiana sugarcane industry, helping empower the people of Louisiana for more than 220 years. Louisiana sugar, making life sweeter, naturally.
the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. We go in the field to talk with Ricky Gosselin. He is a farmer from Iberia Parish. Ricky, tell our listeners about your farm. How many acres do you have and in what crops? Well, you know, we farm in Iberia Parish and St. Mary Parish. We farm 3,000 acres of sugar cane. And we do about 300 acres of soybeans other than this year with the conditions of the market. And uh, we're looking for the future. Maybe hemp brings, uh, you know, an alternative crop. But primary sugar cane, family farm, me and my brother, and fifth generation. And uh, we got sixth six generation on its way uh, on the farm, and we're excited about that. Water has been the big issue for farmers all over Louisiana. It comes in a variety of forms. It can be flooding. It can be excessive rain. It can be seep water. It's affected everybody in some way. How has all of this water affected you and your farm this year? Well, you know, I've always told people that water is, you know, essential to any commodity that you're growing. But in excessive amounts can be harming in the sugar cane industry. So, you know, we have flood control structures in place because we farm in lower areas. We have pumps to pump off. But, you know, the rise in the sea level and the tides have posed significant problems to our crops and uh, we're having to do alternative measures to try to maintain those tides from entering our crop fields and then when you got an excessive rain event you got to pump them out and hold tides back water so it's costing us more for one thing and it's it does do some damage to our crops but properly maintained you can still farm but not without challenges you mentioned that this is a year where you actually didn't put in any soybeans. Was that because of the weather issues? Absolutely. With, with our extensive harvest season and the wet season we had, we, we did a lot of damage to our cane crop. And we rotate soybeans behind cane. So it took a significant amount of more work to put those beans in. And the market didn't look as quite as stable with the tariffs that were being imposed and the transportation issues. So we decided to opt out and just focus on repairing our current cane crop in the condition we have now and get prepared for next year. And we'll look at it again next year. Well, of course, these problems didn't just start this year. They go all the way back to last fall. Did you have problems getting your cane acreage planted last fall? Were you able to get everything in with the, the weather issues we had back then? Yes, we definitely had problems. You know, it was a wet planting system season, and uh, we extended that season all the way into October till we finally got it planted. But, you know, due to the, the wet conditions and some summer-like heat, that we were able to sustain a crop that was really good. Uh, but, yeah, challenging throughout the, the planting season, long and, and effective on, on labor and equipment and had to harvest and plant at the same time. So those things present a lot of challenges and, and run your costs up. I've always said this, that, you know, the farmer, in my estimate, is only responsible for about 60% of what he can and can't do with a crop. The other 30% is Mother Nature, who we don't control, and 10% is government. you got to re recognize that fact. So you better do good with the 60% that you can do with and make sure you do it right. But Mother Nature is the ultimate key to what a, former, a good farmer and a bad farmer. You mentioned that government plays a role in farming and what you do. That leads me into my next question. You have decided that I guess you don't really have enough to do on the farm. <laughs> yeah. you, you've decided to actually throw your hat in the ring and run for political office. Tell me about that. What led to that decision? Well, you know, uh, several years back, you know, there were some issues in Iberia Parish that I thought we could address. And I thought that the rural voice was not being represented. So I stepped up and ran for parish council and won overwhelmingly uh, my first round and then succeeded with another round and ran, ag ran again and now have served as chairman, finance chairman, executive chairman, vice chairman currently on Iberia Parish Council on my eighth term. So, you know, with those lessons that I've learned in local government and how it impacts not only the local farmer but the other constituents in the area, but what drastic impacts does government have on the farming community and while 
we're missing voices that represent those those messages, I think it's time for some of us farmers that can and will and have the willingness to do it to step up to the plate and represent us. And I think we've recently announced that we're going to run for state representative, which is termed out by Taylor Barra, uh, the Speaker of the House, who has some really big shoes to fill. But we're willing to step up with an unoccupied seat, and we have a voice of the rural community to step up and say, hey, you know what? Agriculture matters in Louisiana, and we better take care of them. How important is it that farmers like yourself get involved in the political arena? Maybe not necessarily running for office like you are, but there's a lot of things that farmers can do to get involved. How important is that for farmers and agricultural professionals to do? Well, you, you often hear about, you know, farmer advocacy and, and, and the voice of the farmer. Well, you know, like Farm Bureau, like we hear this weekend, you know, if it wasn't for the American Sugar Cane League, Farm Bureau, and those type of organizations to, to pronunciate our voice out to where we can be heard, then we wouldn't be here today. So those organizations can't do it without people. So I encourage people to step up to the plate and do the things that they can do within their time constraints and make their voice heard. Because far too often in your local communities, when you don't establish a, a chain of command with the local schools, with your local government or whatever, then letting them know how important it is to your local community, they have no understanding of what we're offering. So it's important that I thought that we need to step up the game a little bit, go to Baton Rouge, and make sure we have some ag representation. And there's not a lot of ag representation in Baton Rouge currently, and there's a need for it. And all the indications that I'm getting is that, you know, we need people from rural America that knows what it's like to go to work every day, get their hands dirty, and know that if they don't go to work every day and get their hands dirty, their light switch won't come on at home. Far too often, there's a suit and tie mentality. But right now, it's the blue-collar mentality, and the farmers go to work hard every day to feed their families, and that's what we need representation in. Iberia Parish sugarcane grower Ricky Gosselin, running for state representative. That'll wrap up this edition of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. We'll be back tomorrow, but in the meantime, be sure to connect with us on social media. We're on both Facebook and Twitter. The handle is at Voice of LA Ag. We'll see you tomorrow on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Thanks for listening to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This podcast is produced by Kerry Martin and the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. For more information, be sure to check out our website, voiceoflouisianaagriculture.org and lafarmbureau.org.